You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Yeah, thank you, brother. Well, good morning. Why don't y'all get quiet on me? Goodness. Thank you. It's a little better from one of you. I think a quiet church is a dead church, honestly, and we're not a dead church. I can promise you that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Man, we are not a dead church. Um, If you're here today and you feel dead, find somebody that just seems to have a glow on their face or passionately worshiping God and just go up to them and say, what's up with you? You know, say, what is up with you? Like, Tell me your story. Um, And I promise you, that person will be more than happy to tell you their story about their Jesus and what he's done for them. There's a lot of great stuff going on in our church. And I'll tell you what is the temptation is when you're in the middle of it, you take it for granted. Um, It it seems like maybe it's not a a big deal sometimes because you just get so caught up in it. And uh, the reality is we have people all over the country that are watching you guys. That is true. I'm not making that up. In fact, this week I am going, I'm leaving on uh, Friday and I'm heading to Birmingham, Alabama. And 50 pastors have signed up to come hear me talk about our church. And so from five different states, it's ridiculous. And so it's crazy. It's God's grace. Not making it up. Go look it up on the Internet. Uh, And so um, we have pastors that call us and want to know more about us. They see the videos. They hear the stories. And so even though maybe even some churches in our city might not think it's a big deal what's going on, maybe some pastors don't care what's going on here, the truth is this is something historic. We are on the wave, the front of a wave of something a move of God in our country. And God is popping up churches like our churches um, all over the country. And people are coming to us because we're kind of the first ones that have been doing it in the South and said, we just want to know how to do what you guys have been doing. And so this event I'm speaking at actually this weekend is just called Saturating the South with the Gospel. Because that's what we're about. We don't want to be known as a cinema church. We don't want to be known as a missional community church. We want to be known as a church that worships the real Jesus and that we are saturating this city with the Gospel. That's what we're all about here. And so, uh, man, I'm glad that you are here. My hope is, I'm glad if you feel dead, uh, I'm glad you're here. And I don't want you to feel dead. We want you to feel alive. And so that's always our hope. We want you to float out of here with joy in your heart. And I can't do that. The music can't do that for you. Only the Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel, can do that for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to preach the Bible, okay, every time you come here. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. You do not come here to hear from a about-to-be-31-year-old on life. I do not have near as much life wisdom as many of you do. And so I promise you, when you come here, you're going to hear from God, not from me. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, we are going to continue in our series, The Real Jesus. Because we don't want the fake Jesus, do we? Uh, So we're trying to peel back layers of the fake Jesus, and we're trying to look and we're trying to discover the real Jesus verse by verse through the greatest sermon ever preached. It's actually the only perfect sermon. You're not going to get any perfect sermons ever from anybody other than Jesus. And so we're going to look at this sermon, and uh, we're going to read in verses 1, and we'll start in verse, stop in verse 8 this morning, or verse 7, actually. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a free Bible. They're there on the welcome table. It's yours. We don't expect anything in return. Take it, mark it up, highlight it, and then set it out in front of other people when they walk by so they think you're a super Christian for highlighting and marking up your Bible. And so... Um, Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, 
And he went and he sat down and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And here's our verse for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let's pray one more time. I'm going to pray for you all. You will pray for me while I pray for you all. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to come and to preach your word. Your word is active and it's living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so what that means is as we read it, it's just as powerful as if you were standing here today speaking it to us. And so I just pray for everybody here. Everyone has been hurt by somebody. They've been sinned against. We are sinners in need of mercy and we need to be extending mercy to others. And we can't do that apart from you working and transforming our lives. And so do this for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Anybody in here ever do chores growing up? Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, But I hear it's terrible. Uh, My parents tried hard to get me to do chores. You know, things like clean up your room, pick up after yourself, put things in the right place. My brother was a perfect little angel, and he did it all right. I literally don't think he ever got one spanking growing up. That is a true story. Uh, Me, I... Got in trouble a lot. And so I would not do my chores. And the inevitable result was is daddy, not mama, daddy would come in and spank my bottom. Yes, I got spankings and I still love my parents. I don't have daddy issues. Uh, I turned out all right and we spank our kids. Well, not white yet, but we've already started spanking Nora a lot. Um, and, uh, and so, um, yeah, so I got spankings. And the reason Daddy did it is because I told Mama, I was like, one day I, th- I thought I was going to get her back. And I was like, you can't hurt me anyway. You know, if you want Daddy to, or if you wanted it to hurt, you need to have Daddy do it. And so she's like, okay, well, that's the way it'll be from here on out. And so Daddy would come home from work, and, and I would hear that terrible sound. If you've ever been spanking with a belt, you know that sound of like belt going through belt loops. Like, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, this is not good. And so, and then, I mean, he would just, you know, wear out my bottom. And eventually, after I got older, it, spankings would go to groundings. And they'd ground me from the phone or ground me from hanging out with my friends. Uh, you know, whatever it took. And so, but the result was always going to be this. If I disobeyed my parents, punishment was going to follow. And that's kind of the way it is in all of life. Um, if we don't do our homework in school, we flunk. Right? We get punished. If we speed on the highway, eventually we're going to get pulled over, and at the very least we'll probably get a warning, or we might even get a, a ticket. Right? We're going to get punished. When it comes to work, if you just decide tomorrow morning I'm not going to go to work, or if I do go there I'm just going to goof off and, and uh, you know, eat Twinkie, or I don't know, do something other than work, like it's not going to go well. Like You're going to be punished. You're going to lose your job. And that's pretty much just right the way it is in all of life. So whenever you come to Jesus, would you not expect things to be the same way? I mean, the guy's perfect. He's holy. He's God in the flesh. And so you would assume that he's just sitting back, waiting for you to mess up so that he can punish you for all of your sins. Like You would think that's the natural response, the natural bend that he has towards us. But, as we've been seeing each week, the real Jesus isn't what we expected, is he? he? He often surprises us by what he says and what he does. You might expect the real Jesus to walk on the scene this morning and say something like this. You know what we need around this church? We need more punishment. We need like a no mercy rule. We need like a one strike and you're out. You might expect the real Jesus in verse 7 to say something like this. Blessed are the staunch. 
who don't give up an inch. Blessed are those who walk around looking for sin and calling it out in people and making them feel guilty for all of their sins. But the real Jesus walks on the scene and He says something quite different, doesn't He? He doesn't say, blessed are the staunch. He says what? Blessed are the merciful. Now let me be real clear. Jesus in the Bible always calls sin, sin. The real Jesus always says there is punishment for those who choose to live in sin rather than trusting in God's way. But you know what the religious South needs to know? The deepest message of the Bible is not that you are a sinner who deserves punishment. The deepest message of the Bible is you are a sinner who deserves punishment, but God in His rich mercy sent Jesus to take your punishment for you so you don't have to receive it. The deepest message of the Bible is that God did not leave us in our sinful mess. But He came to us right in the middle of our mess. He became flesh and dwelt among us sinners who deserve hell. And rather than giving us hell, He says, I'm here to show you mercy. I'm here to free you from the sin that if you live in it will destroy you. That's so much different than the Bible belt Jesus. That's so much different than the religious Jesus. The religious Jesus, you know what his main objective is to do in your life? The religious Jesus' main objective is to beat you down. The real Jesus, his main objective is to build you up. The religious Jesus, you know what his natural tendency is? The real Jesus is naturally mad. The religious Jesus is naturally mad. But the real Jesus is naturally merciful. That's what few people expect and every one of us need. We all need that. We need a Jesus who is very, very, very merciful. So let's just make this simple this morning. Are you cool with simple? I hope so because that's the only gear I have. Like my mind only thinks in simple terms. So let's make this simple. Verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Two questions I want to answer this morning and then we'll be done. What did Jesus mean by blessed are the merciful? And what does he mean for they shall receive mercy? What does he mean blessed are the merciful? And two, what does he mean for they shall receive mercy? Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we know that blessed means what? Happy are they. Fortunate are they who live this way. It's a pronouncement. It's not like a what if. It's not a probability like, hey, if you live this way, you might be happy. No, Jesus is saying, if you live this way, you will be happy. You will be fortunate. You will be blessed. And who will be blessed? In this verse, he says, blessed are the merciful. Now, what is the difference between mercy and meekness? What is the difference? Some of you, maybe you have a, is conf- you're confused with what mercy is versus meekness. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Luke came and he talked about, Jesus said, that blessed are the meek. And basically, here's how you can define meekness, okay? Just remember this. Meekness is basically responding passively to injustice. It's saying, I have been wronged, but rather than wronging this person back, I will choose Not to do that. I'm choosing not to take vengeance. It's kind of a turn-the-other-cheek mindset. That's what it means to be meek. Meekness is responding passively to injustice. But here's what mercy is, and here's how it's different. Meekness, responding passively to injustice. Mercy, responding actively to injustice. Mercy goes a step further because it says, not only am I not going to respond in a negative way, 
Listen to this, how radical this is. Mercy says, though I have been the one sinned against, I'm going to take the step forward. I'm going to be active in pursuing to forgive and restore those who have sinned against me. You see the difference? Mercy is not pretending like you were never sinned against. That's not mercy. Mercy is not just trying to sweep things underneath the rug, but it's coming to a place in your heart where you fully forgive and love the person no matter what their sin was against you. Think about just how different this is than the way our culture thinks. What happens in our culture? Someone sins against you. We don't actively seek to show mercy to them. What do we do? In our mind... It's almost like we celebrate their failures secretly. It's like we're waiting for them to fail in that marriage or in that job or financially. It's like we're wanting them not to do well. And it's almost kind of like, you know, we're just sitting there like we're like, good. They finally got what was coming to them. We want justice, don't we? And, and you know what? It doesn't even have to be when people sin against us. It's really weird stuff. Like I was driving back from Jonesboro a couple of weeks ago, and I usually go about five over the speed limit because I've been told that's okay. And so don't judge me. I've researched it. And, uh, and I was driving, and somebody just comes flying past me. And my first thought was, I hope they get pulled over. And guess what? About ten minutes later, I called up and a state trooper had pulled them over. And you know what my very first thought was that crossed my mind? Yeah, punk. Got what was coming to you, didn't you? Where does that come from? Like, why do I think that? And, and why do we think that? Or maybe it's just me. I don't know if I do. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I need to get counseling or something. But, like, that's the way my mind thinks sometimes. Because, like, I want justice. I want that punk to get what's coming to him. He broke a law. He needs to be punished for that. Isn't that often the way we think is, is when people make bad decisions, we think, man, I really hope they get what's coming to them. But here's what the real Jesus says to all of us. If that's your heart, you don't get it yet. If that's your heart, you don't know the real me. You don't understand. And look, I get it. Some of you have been sinned against. Some of you have been harmed and damaged in ways I cannot imagine. And I want you to know, Jesus is not insensitive to that. And I'm not being insensitive to that. Some of you have been hurt so bad, haven't you? And you know what's terrible is for some of you, it's not been hurt by people outside the church. It's been, you've been hurt by people inside of the church. Religious people can be some of the most angry, hurtful people on the planet. I'm not going to say anything on that, but basically I think what happens is in the church, by the way, just short rabbit trail, but I'll come right back. I think what happens is everybody assumes that their agenda is God's agenda and that it's their world, that it's their job to press their agenda on you in the name of God. And they're going to throw guilt and shame and fear on you and they think they're really doing something well. And in the end, you just feel like you've been punched in the soul. And that's why a lot of you have, have we've received, have like you, you've come from years of being out of the church. You were in the church and you walked away from the church because you were hurt by the church. And I just want to say I'm sorry for that. 
I'm sorry that that's happened to you. But I want you to know like that has not been done in the name of the real Jesus. And here's what we need to know on our part, on our side. What the real Jesus wants you to see is, look, I know you've been hurt. I know that some of you have been damaged. But listen, here's what he says. You want to be blessed. You want to be happy. You want to live a happy, fortunate life. Jesus says, you know what? It's not going to come from you holding a grudge. It's not going to come from you carrying bitterness in your heart. As C.S. Lewis says, bitterness is like drinking the rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Right? It's crazy. You're not doing anything but hurting yourself. Jesus says, you want to be blessed, you want to be happy, extend mercy, show forgiveness to those who have sinned against you. And Jesus says, listen, if that's your mindset, I'm going to bless you so much. He says, if that's the culture of this church, he says, now that is a church that I can use greatly. He doesn't say, I need a church that has our own building. I need a church that has way better music or way better preaching. He says, you want to know a church that will be blessed? It's a church that is merciful and forgiving of one another. The question we need to ask is, how can we be a people who are merciful? Right? We want to be merciful, but you can't just also turn on a switch, can you? That says, all right, I'm going to be merciful. So how in the world do we live this way? And here's the answer. Long before we can be merciful to another, you have to believe that God has been and continues to be merciful to you. Let me say that again. Because some of you in here are not merciful, and here's why. Long before you can be merciful to another, you must believe in your heart that God has been and continues to be merciful to you. Can you look right at me? Nobody can be as bad to Jared Pickney as I have been to God. I don't care how anybody treats me. You can treat me as bad as you possibly can, and it still will not be as bad as I've treated God. You believe that about yourself? Do you believe that your sin against a holy God who created you, and by the way, you owe every breath to, do you believe that your sin against a holy God is worse than anybody else's sin against you? Because the Bible says it is. And how did God respond to your sin against Him? With mercy. If you believe that, you will be people who extend mercy to other people. I don't care who it is that hurts you, and I don't care what their offense is, you will show mercy. If you believe that Jesus Christ came and said, I'm going to be a friend to this sinner, then you will be someone who says, I will seek to be a friend to that sinner. Rather than seeking revenge, you will be someone who seeks reconciliation if you believe the gospel. Guys, the truth is, forgiven people forgive people. It's what it is. If you don't feel forgiven, you're not going to forgive anybody else. But if you believe that Jesus has saw all of your wrongness, He saw your sinfulness, and rather than throwing you in hell, He gave you forgiveness, you won't be harsh You won't be staunch. You won't walk around carrying bitterness. You will choose mercy over madness. You have to. 
It's the only natural response to those who believe the gospel. And what can be any more wonderful? What could be any more wonderful than living in such a way that no matter what anybody else does to you, you don't have to walk around just all grumpy and mad about it. Ticking everybody else off around you because you're in a bad mood. What could be more wonderful than not carrying the weight anymore and the pain of when that person sinned against you? God, this is why the real Jesus is relevant. We don't have to make Jesus relevant here by doing a bunch of cool stuff. Jesus is relevant enough on his own. You don't need Jared Pitney to make him relevant. This is why the church, not just those people out there, but those of us in here, that's why we all need the real Jesus. Did you know, and this may be breaking news or something, did you know that churches split? I know it. Did you know they fight over crazy stuff? In our culture and in, in our city and around, they fight over stuff like the color of carpet. That's a true story. I'm not making that up. As sad as it is, I wish I was. Did you know this too? Did you know that people actually get mad at other people in the church and leave? Did you know that? I know that sounds crazy. And sometimes even worse, they don't leave. They just sit around and gossip and complain about the person that sinned against them. I just ask you something. Where's the mercy in that? Where is the mercy? Because our faith has been built on a God who came down not in anger, but in mercy. He came down to give you your lives back. He came down and though he deserved, though he could have came down and threw us all in hell and still been good, right, and perfect. But instead, he came down and he said, I want to give you forgiveness. And if you have tasted that forgiveness... I'm not talking about you heard about it in a Sunday school class. I mean, like you've tasted that forgiveness. The only possible logical response is for you to seek to show others forgiveness. And what is forgiveness, by the way? I don't want to assume anybody knows what it means to forgive somebody. Forgiveness, it doesn't mean that you trivialize the wrong. It doesn't mean that you act like nothing ever happened. But here's what forgiveness means. Ray Ortland, a man way smarter than me, defines it this way. Forgiveness means you set aside the justice you have a right to in order to restore the offender. I'll read that again for those of you taking notes. Forgiveness means you set aside the justice you have a right to in order to restore the offender. Alright, so here's what he's saying. Listen up. When someone sins against you, they owe you. They do. They owe you. That's what sin is. When we sin against God, we owe God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray, Father, forgive my debts. When we sin, we create an indebtedness against God. But you know what forgiveness is? When God forgave us, you know what he was basically saying? You owe me, but I'm not going to collect on your debt. You, you owe me, but rather than you paying the penalty for your sin, I'm sending Jesus to pay the bill. Isn't that great news? I'm sending Jesus to come and live the perfect life you could never live and to die a death for your sin that you deserve to die so you can be forgiven and freed and cleared for all eternity no matter how bad you've sinned against me. That's the gospel. And when we forgive others, we are saying, just as God has canceled my debt against Him, I want to cancel your sin debt against me. I choose to do that. Because that's what God did 
for me. Man, some of you have been hurt and you hear this message and you say, I I just don't know. Some people have sinned against me so bad, they've done it so many times. Let me just think about this. And maybe I'm crazy, but, but what if God in His sovereignty, what if God in His sovereignty allowed you to be mistreated? And the reason He allowed you to be mistreated the way you were is not because He wants to harm you, but because He wants you to be living proof of His mercy in the life of others. Some of you have heard me talk about the woman that was in jail, um, got put in jail for a drug addict, and got busted with, with dope and, and lost her daughter, put in jail. Um, I began to see her, went up there, visited her like 10 weeks in a row. Our missional community paid her. Uh, we bonded her out. We got her in a, uh, pulled some strings, got her in a drug rehab. My wife and I bought her clothes. I began to pour into her daughter, and then she bailed. She just left, and I didn't hear from her again. And I've told you before how I was angry with that, but God helped me overcome it and, and see that, man, like I'm basically worse than her before God than she was ever been to me. And Anyways, recently she got put back in jail. Um, she was facing, I think, 10 to 15 years in prison. And so she's been reaching out to me again, right? So she hit rock bottom. My first thought was, yeah, of course she needs me now because she's desperate. I just ain't going to go see her. And all of a sudden it hit me how stupid that was. And so I... I just decided I'm going to go see her. And someone said, why are you going to see her? I said, I want her to know that I have forgiven her. And I want her to know I'm not mad at her. So I went up to the jail. And as soon as I walk into the room to see her, she just begins to to break down crying. And she says, I'm so sorry. Are you mad at me? And I said, no, I'm not mad at you. I forgive you. I said, how can I be mad at you? And I just told her, I just preached the gospel to her right there. I said, your sin against me is not even close to my sin against God. And I sin against him every single day. I owe him way more than you owe me. And he shows me mercy. How could I do anything but show you mercy? And then I begin to preach the gospel and say, he wants to show you mercy for all of your sins. He wants to forgive you. and He wants to restore you if you will just trust him. And then I gave her a hug and I said, I love you. And, and I left. And, and, and the whole and I don't know what that, if that will do anything in her life. I'm hoping that one day she's sitting in a prison cell and that just goes off like a gospel bomb in her heart. And all of a sudden she realizes the love the Father has for her. I wanted her to know, I'm not holding this against you. I'm not going to talk about it with others. That's what forgiveness means. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm not going to bring it up anymore. I'm not going to complain about this. I want to show you the same kind of mercy that God shows me every second of every day. And just think about, just think about this, please. Just imagine for a second, close your eyes if you have to, imagine the mercy and the patience God shows you every day. I became a Christian when I was 20, and I've changed about this much in 10 years. Sometimes I feel like I'm barely saved. It's like there are some sins that I think I should have whipped by now that I still struggle with. Things I still get upset about that are just stupid and, and so minor. It's so stupid. I mean, I've changed very little. And you know, God is not up there beating me up. He's showing me patience and grace and mercy. And He says, this is the culture that should define the church. Can you imagine being a part of a church like that? What would happen if this church was known as being a merciful people? Do you know what would happen? it would shock people into the reality of God's love for them. People don't expect mercy. 
They don't expect forgiveness. If you've messed up somewhere, you're just waiting for the time bomb to go off. Like something bad's about to happen. Like people just don't show mercy. But Jesus says to us, you are to be a merciful people. And when you live this way, your life will be changed. The lives of others will be changed. And you will be blessed. And can I just say something else before we move on to the last point? Some of you, maybe you think, yeah, I want to show mercy. But if I show mercy, like I already know this person, they're not going to respond in a positive way. So there's no reason to do it. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter how they respond. Only thing that matters is what Jesus says will happen. And what does he say will happen? You'll be blessed no matter what or how they respond. Jesus says you will be blessed when you show mercy. And how will you be blessed? You've got to catch this. You will receive mercy. Now some of you are smart theologians. And you read this on the surface level and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought God is a gracious God. It seems like here we only receive mercy when we're merciful. It almost seems like God's making us earn the blessing. This seems more like merit than it does mercy, right? If you're merciful, then I will be merciful, it seems like he's saying. That's not grace, is it? So what's going on here? Well, let's not ever take the Scripture out of context. And let's remember that Jesus is preaching a sermon, and every point builds off of another point. And so this point comes at just the right time because here's what he's saying. Listen, here's a recap. And for those of you that haven't been here the last few weeks, you're about to hear every sermon in like one minute, okay? The Minute Express, that's right. Jesus starts his sermon and he says, Blessed are the poor and spirit. In other words, blessed are those who know they're spiritually bankrupt before God. Blessed are those who know that even on my best day, I deserve hell. Point two, Jesus says, Therefore, You mourn your sin. Blessed are those who mourn their sin because you know that my sin separates me from God and I am very broken before a holy, perfect God who has done nothing but bless me. Point three. Therefore, you should be meek. Blessed are those who are meek. He says, blessed are those who realize I am a wretch. Blessed are those who realize I do deserve hell. Blessed are those who realize nobody can do anything too bad against me because I deserve hell. Blessed are those who know that even my worst enemies don't know the worst about me. Therefore, be someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, he says. You should be someone who says, I long for God. If I don't have God, I will never be saved and I will never be satisfied. I need God. And then you rejoice because God has given himself by giving us the real Jesus so that we can be saved and satisfied. Now, that's where we come to the last point. He says, if you believe all of that, if you believe not in your head knowledge, but in your heart, if you believe all of that, your attitude towards others will change. It will not remain the same. And listen, we will be merciful to others. Why will we be merciful to others? Because when they sin against us, you know why we know? They sin against us because they're sinners just like us. They're broken just like we're broken. They're poor in spirit, just like we're poor in spirit. So we don't take it personal. We mourn that sin and we say, man, they need to meet the real Jesus. We want to open their eyes and their hearts to the power of the spirit rather than holding a grudge. And so here's what he's saying. Listen, don't miss it. He's saying the merciful are those who realize their own need for mercy. And it's only when you see your own need for mercy will you keep receiving mercy. The merciful are those who realize their own need for mercy. 
And it's only whenever you realize your own need for mercy that you will receive mercy. This isn't about merit. It's not about earning God's love or earning God's mercy. It's realizing you are in desperate need of His mercy every single day, that you are a sinner still in need of Him. And when you receive that mercy over and over and you receive that forgiveness, you begin to extend it to others. Real practical step as we end. What do we do in light of this message? Fellowship Bible Church. Somebody has wronged you. Who is it? And what are you going to do about it for mercy's sake? If you refuse to open your heart to those who have hurt you, you are refusing to open your heart to the mercy of the real Jesus. You are refusing to live out on a blessing, a blessed life where you will be happy and fortunate. If you're sitting here this morning and you at least say, you know what, Jared, I want to be merciful, but I just can't. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. But some of you are in here, you're saying, I don't care, I don't want to be merciful. It's a sign you probably don't know the real Jesus. But if you're here and you say, I want to be merciful, but I just can't. What is the solution? How can I be merciful? Do this. And we're, gonna, we're ending here, I promise. Visualize Jesus on the cross. They're dying for you. For your sin. And now think about the worst sin you have ever committed. The one maybe you're... Your spouse don't know about, your parents don't know about, your friends don't know about, the worst thing you've ever done, maybe you still carry guilt over it. And ask yourself this question, how did Jesus respond to that sin? He went and he died in your place, an agonizing, excruciating, humiliating death for you. He laid down his life for you. He showed you mercy. He showed you forgiveness. How in the world now could we hold a grudge against anybody else who has sinned against us? We should respond as a merciful people who are extending mercy. And when we extend mercy, we will continue to receive His mercy, which we desperately need over and over and over. And we will be happy and we'll be blessed and we'll be fortunate. I'm going to ask you, as we enter into a time of communion, to just sit. And for those that are helping with communion, helping with worship, go ahead and come forward. And uh, let's try to not get too distracted by people shuffling around and moving and getting ready, and let's not miss out on what the real Jesus wants us to hear. We are about to partake of communion, and I want you to know two things. One, if you are a Christian, you are welcome to take communion with us. You don't have to necessarily be a part of this church. Uh, we're family. We are family, and so you're welcome to the, the table with us, to eat the meal with us, right? And what we'll do in just a moment is we'll take some bread and we'll dip it in juice. Um, and we'll be reminded of the mercy of God. That's what communion is for. It's a tangible expression of God's mercy poured out for us through Christ, His perfect life, and His death for us. If you are here and you are not a Christian, two things I want you to know is one is that's that's I think it's great value grape juice. Now we've actually downgraded from Welch's to great value. Uh, and two, um, it's just bread from Walmart, I think. And so. Um, by taking of it, you're not going to have your sins forgiven. By taking of it, you're not going to have some unanswered prayer answered. And God's not going to love you more. The only reason we take it is because it's a great picture of what Christ has already done for us. It's a celebration for us. It's a time for us to taste and see that God is good. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, 
We don't close any doors to you here, but we just want you to know there's nothing spectacular in that for you. What we actually ask is that you receive the mercy of God for the first time. That you become poor in spirit and realize, you know what, I've never known the real Jesus. And today I want to I submit all of my life to him for the very first time. And if you do that, I want to encourage you to come and talk to me or to come and talk to another pastor, uh, to Luke, or come and talk to someone that you have come with. Okay? Uh, second thing I want you to know, if you are a, a visitor or a... Um, if you're a non-Christian, we'll have a giving basket out here. We do not ask that you give anything to this church. If you're a visitor or you're a non-Christian, this service is a gift to you. And so do not at all feel obligated when you walk by and you see people throwing money in a plate to think, oh, I better do that so that I'm not looked down upon or whatever else. Like, you're never going to be looked down upon here, right? So you're welcome here to just come and receive. We don't want anything from you. Receive the gift. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to uh, sing another song. We're going to worship. One more song. And then the way we typically do communion is, is we just kind of file out to the left. And then we start coming down here to the right. And uh, we just come out and we partake of communion as we're exiting the theater. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to come and be reminded of your gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us mercy. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. We don't want what we deserve. We want what we don't deserve, which is you. I pray for each man that is here, each woman who has a past, who has sinned against you, who has hurt you, that they will see that you are not angry, that you are not naturally just trying to catch them in a trap and destroy them, but as they have breath in their lungs and because they're here this morning, it's you crying out to them saying, I want to show you mercy. I want to bless you. I want to give you life, the life you've been longing for. And so would you please open the eyes of the blind. Clothe the naked with your righteousness. Help them to taste and see that you are good. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. People here have been wounded deeply. And they, in their own power, cannot overcome those wounds. I pray that you will give them faith to trust you. Faith to believe that you know better than they do. Faith to to believe that you have shown them mercy in their sins against you. And now because of that, you can show great mercy. They don't have to just forget about it. They don't just have to deal with it. They can have a healthy, Father, view of mercy and forgiveness. They can be active in restoring the wrongs. Thank you for who you are and all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.